0: Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market-rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7pm, held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I'm speaking with Will Fernandez, Director of Audits and Investigations for the Department of Licenses and Inspections, about how to make sure you're compliant with city code and how the code enforcement process works. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com media. So it is my pleasure to introduce Will Fernandez, and he is the Director of Audits and Investigations for the Department of Licenses and Inspections. Will started his career at the City of Philadelphia Law Department where he represented LNI and in hundreds of court cases before transitioning to his current position in LNI in September of 2019. As the Director of Audits and Investigations, Will is responsible for enforcing code compliance among contract- contractors and other trade licensees and collecting third-party building certifications for facades, fire escapes, piers, and private bridges, among other responsibilities. Will earned a BA in economics from Cornell University and then graduated from New York University School of Law. He is a member of the Pennsylvania Bar and lives in South Philadelphia. So without further ado, Will, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Derek, and thank you for the the kind introduction. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for the bio. I
1: was
0: gonna say, yeah, I've heard that before. That, That all sounds kind of familiar. Right. Um, so we have a lot to discuss tonight and, and chances are we're not going to be able to cover all of it, but I, I do want to jump right into the conversation and, um, and, and we'll start kind of with the background of L&I and maybe you can tell us a little bit um, about the organization. Um, I'm sure everybody in this call is super familiar with it if they've uh, done a real estate project or if they haven't done an investment or development project, um, they probably know what, what's coming with L&I. Um, so hopefully you can kind of decode some of this for us. And um, in case there is anybody in this call who has no clue even what L and I stands for, maybe you can start by just giving us the rundown of, of what L and I is and what they do for the city.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. I'd be happy to. And uh, you know I think it's it's nice to start with you know a big million dollar question. What is? L&I? And I know that everyone has you know different experiences when they interact with L and I, and those experiences will depend a lot on what the situation is with that interaction. And um, it's 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 often helpful to take a step back and to think of L and I as uh, you know a government body and ask what is what is their responsibility and the answer is it's extremely broad. L and I is responsible for enforcing um, a lot of different technical codes that apply to uh, actions in the city. So. Um, I think maybe the easier way to do it is to just uh, state some of the the, the codes, uh, the different titles of the code that they're responsible for enforcing. One big one is, of course, the construction code. LNI is responsible for ensuring that all construction that occurs in the city limits occurs in compliance with the Philadelphia Building Code, which is essentially the 2018 International Building Code with uh, a couple of amendments here and there. Uh, another thing they're responsible for is uh, the fire code. So you know, every building, whether it's an existing building or whether it's a new building, is subject to certain fire code requirements. It might have to do with uh, the egress, the amount of uh, you know the amount of egress you you provide, depending on the occupancy of your building. You know, if you have a big apartment building with lots of different units and lots of different occupants, you might have to have you know multiple different ways to egress the building in an emergency. If it's a smaller building or if it's a low occupancy building, one or two might suffice. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that, there is, of course, the zoning code, which is hugely important for, uh, uh, of course, developers and for residents of the city who have an interest in uh, keeping their neighborhoods nice and maintaining some of the, uh, you know, maybe some of the character that the neighborhood neighborhood had uh, and, you know, not letting it uh, get kind of overcome with, you know, the nuisance businesses or anything like that. That's just the tiniest little sliver of what the zoning code does. It's tremendously complicated. Uh, there's also business compliance requirements, licensing requirements, and a big one is property maintenance. L&I has lots and lots of property maintenance inspectors that don't do anything regarding construction. But if you're a landlord and you aren't maintaining your property up to uh, the requirements of the, uh, the Philadelphia Property Maintenance Code, you might get cited with violations for uh, for that. So essentially, there's a whole bundle of different code requirements. They almost all have to do with private property. That is a kind of common strain through all of them. Usually, if there's a code section that has to do with public property, parks, maybe sidewalks and streets, that's. Well, Parks and Recreation and Streets Department. If it's if there's a Philadelphia code requirement that applies to private property, whether that's construction or a property that is already owned and you know complete been constructed, uh, that often falls to L and I. So again, that's kind of a bird's eye view answer, but
0: that's uh, my my best answer for what is L and I. So maybe let's take another even a further step back and. It sounds like the bottom line is safety and the, and the bottom line is just making sure that the buildings that are being constructed and maintained in our city remain that way right um, that's
1: absolutely correct and i'm actually really glad you said that because um ever since i started ever since i had my first interaction with l and i it has been drilled into me by everyone the you know the person who hired me the first time when i was at the law department to um you know former deputy commissioner now acting commissioner ralph DePetro, everything l and i does is ultimately for public safety. That's always been L and I's number one mission. And yeah, that's you. You identified the other common strain, and you know probably the more important common strain mm-hmm. throughout all of those different things that L and I does. They're all pretty much related to public safety, either very directly, such as the fire code. And in some ways, you know, maybe indirectly, but still related to public safety, like you know, the zoning code and the, the property maintenance code. Those both touch upon safety issues, even if they're not directly
0: speaking to them with their their provisions. Right. And I'm sure you agree. I think that's an important thing to remember when dealing with an institution like L and I, where you know tons of paperwork and and lingo that you might not be familiar with, and it seems like they're just trying to get you at every angle. But you know, really the base of it all is safety and 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 making sure that you know what you're doing isn't going to cause. Big problems down the line, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I hear you make
1: mention of of, of paper and and stuff like that, and I, I think it's a good opportunity to jump in and say, there's no doubt that LNI is a bureaucracy. You know, nobody who's involved in construction is going to dispute that, uh, and, and no one in Philadelphia involved in construction is going to dispute me on that. It that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're dealing with an agency like this. Uh, what the agency has to do is it has to. Uh, implement and enforce all of these safety requirements and safety programs. And it needs to do that in an even-handed and fair way. And uh, regardless of how, you know, how you, how you slice it kind of, ultimately there's going to be annoying paperwork, delays, errors. Uh, And obviously I'm not saying that that is accepted or tolerated in an LNI. I think every day it's Uh, you know, uh, uh, an opportunity to improve those things and to move forward. Uh, But that's just always going to be uh, a situation when you're dealing with an agency the size of L&I's. And I can tell you, L&I, you know, we have, L&I is a big, uh, a big department. We have lots of employees, but uh, we have also a tremendous amount of work. And uh, let me see if I have these, I have them somewhere relatively on hand. Yeah, here we go. Just very quickly, I won't belabor this. Just you know, uh, listing out numbers, but I can tell you, in 2019, L and I issued uh, just about 63,000 permits, just about 17,000 licenses, uh, performed 300,000 inspections, um, and uh, uh, responded to 67,000 complaints. Those are all approximate numbers, but that's a uh, that's a lot of work that has to get done, and. Um, you know, that's, um, so it's a, it's a big
0: department. There's lots of people, there's always plenty to do, and there's always plenty of
1: action going on. That's for
0: sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and as much as people might hate that word, bureaucracy, sometimes that's the, the fairest, and most efficient way to get things done. And, and it sounds like that's what we're going to go over tonight. Um, Absolutely. Cool. So, so let's move on and talk a little bit about, you know, the actual service of LNI and, and what sort of research, what sorts of resources they um, provide to the community. I know Atlas and the LNI website are big hubs online where people can find a bunch of information. So maybe you can go into a little bit about, um, you know, what, what resources LNI provides and how people in this call can can utilize them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I
1: think the first thing I want to say is that a lot of times, if you're dealing with LNI issues, things can get very complicated very fast, and um, it can be overwhelming at times where you don't even know, you know, how to kind of get your foot in the door with starting to figure out whatever, uh, problem it is you're trying to deal with. Um, and so there's really two places you already named them where I would recommend people first go to, you know, try to find the place they can put their foot in the door, or if they're a little bit more ambitious and a little bit more adventurous, maybe they're trying to figure it all out, you know, going off these resources and that is doable. So, uh, I think first I'll, um, uh, I'll, I'll talk about Atlas a little bit. Uh, now what Atlas is, is it's a, um, well, it's a website that was created that basically um, puts a lot of the data LNI collects and a lot of the, the, the information LNI has, puts it out there accessible to the public and makes it, you know, nice and organized and, and easy to find. So if any it, it, everyone should write down, this is a really, I, I really couldn't recommend it more. The website is atlas, A-T-L-A-S, dot phila, dot gov, phila, P-H-I-L-A, so atlas.phila.gov. You go to the website, you'll basically see, you know, like a very nice looking, um, basically like a Google map of Philadelphia. And if you plug in any address, whether it's, you know, your address, the address of a, a project you're, you're considering uh, starting, whatever it is, um, Atlas will go to that address. And then you will see on the left hand, you'll have a bunch of different um, kind of uh, uh, different kinds of information that you can obtain. So one thing you can see on there is the OPA information. OPA is the Office of Property Assessment. So that'll tell you who the owners of the property are, uh, when the property was transferred to those owners. Uh, I think it might even list what the transfer price is. I know it does on the OPA website. I'm not sure if it does in Atlas, but I think it does. Uh, you'll also be able to get um, Uh, I believe you can get a link to uh, search for some of the deeds for that property. Now the OPA, it pulls all of its information from the, uh, uh, from the the deeds that are on file with the city office of records, but that's there too. Uh, I think the most important, certainly for my purposes, maybe, maybe for yours as well, the most important tab that's on Atlas is there's one that's just called LNI. And if you click on that, you can see historical permits, what permits were obtained for this property in the past. You can see current active permits, you know, So for example, let's say I'm just in my home in my neighborhood and I see a construction site across the yard and I think, you know, I don't know, that doesn't look right. Why are they going in there at night and not during the day? Uh, it just is something questionable rather than just giving up on it or maybe sending in a complaint and then you know not following up on it. You can actually do a little bit of initial research yourself. You can go on Atlas, put in the property's uh, uh, address and it'll show you whether there are active permits on there or not. You can even get a little bit of information on that permit, you can see who the contractor is, what the scope of work is. It's all on there. It's all instantly accessible for anyone, uh, anyone out there. Uh, you'll also be able to see, of course, is an important one violation history and active violations at the property. You'll be able to see zoning information. You'll be able to, you'll be able to see nearby action that's happened, specifically nearby zoning appeals. Maybe there's a zoning appeal you want to get involved in if you want to oppose it or if you want to support it. And you can see nearby 311 requests, which um, is actually pretty helpful for me because, uh, like Derek said earlier, I live in South Philly. And um, if if any of you know South Philly in certain areas, there's a lot of dumping and there's a lot of um, a casual, you know, person people just littering on on certain corners and stuff. So sometimes I like to go in and see if there's been a recent 311 request because we need a street department truck to come out and you know pick up a, a dump site. Uh, so all of that is on atlas.phila.gov. Um, I really urge you all to take a look and check it out. It's, it's fantastic. It's pretty user-friendly, uh, and all of that information is on there. The other resource um, that I want to talk about is, and this doesn't sound exciting, but I promise it's a little bit more exciting than it sounds, it's the LNI website, which is just phila.gov backslash li. And um, I can tell you when I started at the law department, uh, the LNI website was nothing to write home about. It was just kind of your basic run of the mill, you know, informational website. But in 2017, there's been, since then, there's been a massive project to really update it and make it a valuable resource for everyone to use. Um, and I can say until I came over to LNI from the law department last year, or I guess now in 20, at the end of 2019, I still hadn't really gotten, you know, re- I hadn't really gotten introduced to the new website or, or bothered to look at it. When I came into LNI, I had to for a variety of reasons, and I found that it's really it's, it's great. There's 190 pages, so there's tons of stuff on there. It can be sometimes a little bit difficult to, to, to find, maybe, if you're looking for something really specific, but given that amount of content, it's much more likely than not that whatever you're looking for is going to be on the website. Um, I won't get into trying to describe how it's organized and how to click around it. I think it's fairly straightforward. You can go to the website and, and look at it but there's, there's really good stuff on there. There's relatively uh, you know easy to read kind of plain English uh, descriptions and explanations of code requirements for construction, for property maintenance. Uh, there's guides on getting licenses and obtaining permits. Uh, there's tools you can use to look up your permit status. You can look up uh, contractors and their history. And um, there is, uh, you'll also find on the website there's something called Eclipse, which is the new Philadelphia permitting and licensing. So it's basically LNI's data system, and it just came out in just time. Is time is weird these days, but it came out in March of 2020. It feels like it was yesterday because of uh, you know the, the the last year. But you know, with that said, it's still relatively new, um, but it's it's very exciting because before Eclipse, you know, we were using a, a data system called Hansen that was all manual input, everything had to be done in the office. With Eclipse, we uh, allow for a lot more stuff to happen from people's homes. So in other words, before on the old system, if you wanted to get a permit, you had to get down to down, you had to come down to downtown, get a number, sit in the concourse, it might take you half the day. Now, you can submit an application online from, from the comfort of your home. And uh, there's lots of other stuff that can be achieved through Eclipse. Let's say you're a um, Let's say you just uh, need. Let's say you 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 have your final inspection on your project. You want to get your certificate certificate of occupancy. The permit inspector might tell you, you know, we need a copy of your fire suppression system certification before we can release the CO. Now, rather than I, I guess in the past you could have emailed it or faxed it. Now you can upload it, and then you can see in the portal in Eclipse it's been uploaded, it's been saved. I know it's there. I don't have to worry about it. I know that I'm you know I'm owed my CO now. So Eclipse is a a huge step forward for the department, and if you don't have an Eclipse account, I think I'm going to talk about this a little bit later. I think I got ahead of myself a little bit, but I urge you all, if you don't have an Eclipse account, if you're going to be uh, looking into getting into development in the city of Philadelphia, you're very possibly going to need one. So you might want to register now and and get ahead of the game, take a little look through there. Uh, So the main two resources, uh, Atlas for just LNI data. If you're looking for specific data that you know that's publicly accessible, that'll be on Atlas. If you're looking for more, just kind of research or guides or just information, that's
0: phila.gov/li.
1: Awesome.
0: Thanks, Will. And I, I put both of those links in the uh, the chat. So uh, thank you. If, yeah. If you missed the uh, readout of the, the adra- addresses, there, uh, they're in the chat, and then we'll also be sending out um, in a follow up email email tomorrow. Um, and, and I agree with you wholeheartedly about how you, how useful Atlas is it's just a great, like common point of, uh, you know, information where, where it's, I feel like at jumpstart when we're reviewing loans and everything, at least once a day, you know, we say check Atlas, go on Atlas, look at Atlas, figure out, you know, whatever's on Atlas is the right information. It seems like, um,
1: yeah. And if I can actually, um, uh, jump back in something that, so, um, a, a somewhat common thing that I would encounter when I was at the law department prosecuting LNI cases is, you know, someone would have, let's say uh, I get a referral from LNI, hey, please file this court case. This guy's got an occupied property and there's no certificate of occupancy because they never got a final inspection on a building permit. Let's say uh, I get that case, I file it, I file a lawsuit against the owner of the property, they come into court, they might say, hey, I understand there's an issue here, but you gotta give me a break. I just bought this property three months ago. I had no idea. Look, here's a text message from the seller where he tells me it's all set and it's occupied, and I can just take over the the the, the you know the uh, the rental agreement. Um, in that situation, if you bought a property and there are issues with the property, you inherit those issues. If even if violations had already been issued to the old owner. If you buy the property, I is going to reissue the p- violations to the new owner, even if those violations are not the fault of the new owner at all. So I have always thought that a very good idea, if you're looking at purchasing a property or getting involved in a property, is take a look at the permit history. Take a look at the violation his- history. Look at Eclipse and uh, make sure you know what you're getting into, because uh, that will have all those records there free of charge. Just takes two or three minutes to pull it up.
0: Great. Yeah. And from the point of a lender as well, um, that's something that we're always checking back to make sure, you know, if someone's applying for a, a loan for a property, you know, they they need to have checked Atlas before they even ask us about it. So, so we don't have to go through that back and forth to saying, well, this is on there. You know, what does this mean? Um, so yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on there and the emphasis of get, getting used to checking Atlas. Um, so uh, let's let's you kind of made a natural segue there into our next topic which is going to be uh, permits and and all about you know but basically take it from very step one you know you, you bought your first property um you know you finally you're done with settlement you're ready to go and you're you're looking at your contractor says all right i need this permit how where, where do you go where does someone who doesn't have any clue about what a permit means <laughs> where do they look
1: so this it's a obviously it's a great question and um i guess i have some good news and the bad bad news the bad news is that I'm not really the right person to give this information uh, because in my current role, I really just do regulation of contractor practices. Uh, my old role, I prosecuted cases, but those don't typically involve, you know, the actual um, uh, a period where you're gearing up to to develop a project and figure out what you need. It's usually after the fact, once the damage is done. So that's the bad news. The good news is that, you know, obviously there are lots of people in I who had, know all this stuff like the back of their hand, and, um, you know, I was able to talk to them and get some, some pointers that, uh, that I can kind of, uh, uh share with you all from them.
0: So, and before you, before you jump into that, well, yeah, of course. I just want to let everybody know that we did have a jump in our, I believe it was back in June or maybe even before that. Um, I, I believe her name was Jennifer. She spoke, um, specifically about the eclipse system. Um, and she, she walked us through the website and, and had, she was sharing her screen and kind of like went through a couple different scenarios of how to apply for a specific type of permit. I might have her name wrong, but um, everybody can, can go to the Jumpstart Germantown website and go to Media and look for the Eclipse Jumpinar that we did uh, maybe six months ago, um, and, and they can really get a deeper dive. But let's hear what Will has to say. I'm sure, I'm sure he has some. Information that, that sounds side. like a, that, that sounds like an excellent suggestion.
1: Um, you know, like I said, there's people in LNI who their you know their their entire career their entire job is based on knowing this stuff and that's not me but um i suspect if if perhaps you were wrong on the name it might be the person who gave me these tips who, who gave that presentation
0: if you're just tuning in this is a conversation with will fernandez director of audits and investigations for the department of licenses and inspections about how to make sure you're compliant with city code and how the code enforcement process works Thanks for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. Uh, so the first thing
1: I want to say is that there is a very nice guide that Ellen and i put together and created for just this very question, and it's called the Start Right Guide. And so I would recommend that if you are really looking for, you know, 101, L&I Project 101, Google Philadelphia Start Write Guide. And I believe it will be the very first thing that pops up. You'll be able to see it's on the LNI website. Uh, And what I'll do is I'll make sure that uh, Derek is able to to share the link. Um, But that I
0: found found it already, so I'm going to put it in the chat. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah.
1: That's a very nice, uh, easy to read, broken down to be as kind of straightforward as possible guide on you know, exactly this question, where do I begin? How do I start to wrap my head around what I need to do to make this project go? Uh, so I really recommend that everyone start by reading that if you're looking for an introduction. Now, what was uh, the, the, the rest of what I have It's a little bit more specific. Uh, I asked for just kind of, what are some of the top tips that you would share with respect to the permit application process and, and, and what are some common permitting issues that, you know, you encounter um, when you're reviewing plans down in the concourse or dealing with with customers who have issues about their their permit applications, and the very first one I got is uh, it's important to understand the difference between a complete demolition and new construction project versus an alteration project. And I can actually put my own little um, my own little uh, twist or my own little my own little addendum to this one. Um, I know of a project where uh, the It was a developer uh, and a contractor working together. They went through all of the expense and effort and trouble to obtain a new construction permit, which I'm sure some of you know is no walk in the park. It's expensive and it takes a lot of work. You got to pay architects, you got to pay engineers, you got to pay all sorts of people. Um, And they got that permit issued to them. uh, God knows how many thousands of dollars they poured into obtaining the permit. Uh, they uh, they they put in the application. They dealt with L and I a couple months, maybe you know a, a month, six weeks later. They obtain the permit. They think they're in the clear. They think they're good to go. They call L and I for their initial inspection, which every job site requires before it becomes active. The inspector comes out to the site, and what he says is, "Oh whoa 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 whoa! Look, this site has two thirds of the floor joists removed. This isn't a um, this isn't an alteration. This is a demolition and new construction." And basically, that permit, all that work, it got thrown in the trash, and they more or less had to start all over because it was a new permit. Uh, it was a there, there was a different type of permit required. So the, the thing you need to know is once you remove two thirds of the joists from a structure and any portion, any portion, excuse me, of an exterior wall, you can no longer get an alteration permit for that project. That is now a new construction project if you're going to do any work to it. So two thirds of the joists and any portion of the exterior, and there's gonna be one new code requirements. So in other words, maybe if you had, if those joists hadn't been removed, you'd be working out of the existing building code and you wouldn't have to uh, swap out the plumbing to meet the new requirements. You wouldn't need to uh, make sure you meet the newest requirements of the fire code, which might be a little bit more stringent. Maybe you need to install a sprinkler system now, which is extremely expensive. So there's a, a very bright line two thirds of joists removed, any portion of the exterior wall removed. Once that happens, you're in new construction land and it's gonna be a lot more expensive. You're gonna have to get a demolition permit and a new construction permit. If you don't remove two thirds of the joists and you don't remove a portion of the wall, then you're likely gonna be able to get by with an alteration permit, which is gonna be much more cost-effective. You're not gonna have to bring it up to code. You're gonna have the existing building code, which is preferable for most, um, uh, 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 most developers. So that is a a, a common error uh, because you know it can it, it can seem like a very uh, kind of nitpicky distinction, but it's huge in practice. So uh, that's a that's a big one.
0: Great. The next thing, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Derek. No, no. I was just. I sounds like you had more. You want to continue with the the permit tips? Yeah. Well, so the next thing I had in
1: in my permit tips is get used to Eclipse. So I already touched on this. I'll, I'll, I'll speed right through it. Cool. Um, uh, what I would recommend to everyone is you can Google Philadelphia Eclipse, uh, or you can find it on the LNI website. There's an Eclipse FAQ, and um, uh, I think Derek will, should be able to share the link to that. Uh, Derek, it's on if you have my old PowerPoint. It's on slide 18 of that old PowerPoint. Perfect. But it's a very comprehensive FAQ on basic Eclipse issues. I know that you know registering for an account and getting used to a a new online portal can be can be a lot to chew on. Um, and so I recommend everyone start with that FAQ. If you hit any issues, you can always refer to that FAQ, but everything, uh, especially given the pandemic, uh, nearly everything is being done through Eclipse now. So you really put yourself in an advantage if you, if you're familiar with it.
0: Awesome. Great. And Will, I appreciate you, you, even though it's not, you know, your specialty, uh, your specialty knowledge, um, I appreciate you reaching out to your colleagues and kind of getting the the industry secrets. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm sure everybody appreciates that. And, and thanks for going the extra step there. Um, now, now let's move into another section, which I think you're probably a little bit more familiar about, which is the code enforcement process and, and sort of the back end of, you know, like the opposite of a permit, kind of. Um, yeah. So maybe we can just dive in a little bit and you can tell me or, or tell the, the uh, attendees in the call here, like if people don't really know what code enforcement means or like what, how, what sort of significance that has, um, for, for not only your, your dealings as an investor but as as a, a somebody who's contributing to the, the city's growth um you know what what are some common culprits and what sorts of things like do you see a lot or, or what sorts of things don't you see a lot and, and what should that process look like and and um like how to make it as as least troubling as possible <laughs> i know yeah. it's a lot, a lot to ask but, but hopefully- no that's okay
1: no this is this, so this is what i spent you know um the first five years of my career working for the city of philadelphia i was in, it's now got a different name that I can't even remember, but it was called the Code Enforcement Unit at the Law Department. And, uh, you know, we did a couple things, but a lot of our time was spent on, well, code enforcement. And so I guess to start with, code enforcement is the process by which the city um, addresses violations of the Philadelphia Code that it has uh, established. Uh, In short, it's what the city does in order to uh, bring violations that currently exist into compliance to future violations and to uh, certainly an aspect of it is to uh, discipline or punish or fine uh, people who have violated the Philadelphia code. Uh, so there are all sorts of, you know, uh, 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 violations of the, of the Philadelphia code. I don't even know where to begin there, but I guess to kind of put a little bit of structure to this, I'll say one of the common ones that, you know, you see all the time is uh, working without permits that's you know a basic one. If you are observed doing construction work in the city of Philadelphia and you don't have permits authorizing that construction work, if um, let's say you know a neighbor gets suspicious or whatever submits a 311 complaint that'll trigger an LNI inspector to come out and investigate the complaint. if they see a work truck and you know some guys doing construction work uh, some people doing construction work uh, and they see that there are no permits in Eclipse in the LNI data system, they will issue a violation for working without permits, and that will trigger uh, the following day, uh, a notice of violation to be mailed to what is called the responsible party, which is almost always the owner of the property, but it can be uh, it can be basically anyone that the department determines is responsible for that violation. And so that is how, in every single instance, the code enforcement process begins with the issuance of a notice of violation. Um, I don't have one handy right now, but I would recommend that everyone, um, uh, uh, and I, can, I can, we can, we can make sure that we provide this later, but everyone should get a look at what a notice of violation looks like. Uh, I think it's helpful to be familiar with the form because there's a lot of information on there and it can be a little overwhelming, you know, if you receive one and you've never gotten one before and you don't know what to do. Uh, in short, uh, the notice of violation has, uh, there's certain requirements it has to have on there. It has to say what the violation is, has to tell the responsible party who's been cited about their right to appeal the violation and challenge it, dispute it before the Board of L&I review. It'll tell the uh, responsible party what the fine to be imposed is if the violation is not corrected within the period of time provided to correct the violation. And it will set a date or an approximate date for a reinspection, which is essentially the city automatically checks each violation after a certain amount of time to see if it's been corrected or not. Uh, so now I'm going to uh, I'll attempt to run through it as, as quickly as possible. But I welcome everyone. If anyone's got any questions about this, I could I could go all night talking about these. So so uh, throw them in there if you want me to expand on anything, and I'll, I'll try my best. Um, so that's step one. Inspector goes out, determines a violation exists. They determine who the responsible party is. Uh, for my unit, the responsible party is almost always the contractor who's resp- who's you know uh, named on the permit. For the rest of LNI, for 90% of what LNI does generally, it's the owner of the property who's ultimately responsible for maintaining it in compliance with the Philadelphia Code. So notice of violation goes out. It'll say violation working uh, without working without permits. It'll say you have 30 days to comply this violation. A reinspection will be attempted on approximately say February 21st, 2021. It'll say fine to be imposed. We're working without permits, I believe that's a class one violation. And so it's $300, but it's $300 per day that the violation exists, which is obviously uh, means it's a lot of, it means there's a potential for a huge fine here if violation is not uh, achieved within the time period. Um, and uh, so you get that in the mail, says you have 30 days. The other thing I forgot to mention is it'll say you have the right to challenge this uh, this violation to the board of L&I review. Now, uh, I think by far the most important thing, if you are a owner of a property or otherwise a responsible party and you're cited with a notice of violation is if you have any, if you disagree with the notice of violation in any way, you should challenge it because there's an important legal doctrine called exhaustion of administrative remedies. And what that means is if you miss the boat, you miss the boat for good. Uh, In other words, let's say um, this is going to be a hypothetical, but let's say Uh, I don't actually believe that I performed construction. Let's say I'm going to say I was just doing finishing work. We were just polishing the floors in there. It wasn't actually construction. This is a misunderstanding. The inspector saw someone going in with some tools and misread the situation. If I don't appeal that notice of violation, I have... Technically, just from a legal perspective, this is not L&I's decision, this is a a, a legal um, thing. I have missed the opportunity to challenge that violation later on. Now in real life, L&I is not necessarily going to hold you to that. We're always trying to work with people to achieve the best possible outcome for the city of Philadelphia. We're not trying to punish people for accidental, for violations that may not have actually happened. However, this is just, I'm giving an extreme example. Legally speaking, Let's say I fail to challenge that notice of violation. If six months later, I end up in court and the city solicitor is telling the judge, your honor, it's been uh, months. They haven't done anything to address the violation. They haven't gotten any permits. I'm asking for the maximum fine. At that point, you would be legally barred from saying, whoa, 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 this is a misunderstanding. This was actually not, this violation didn't actually exist. Um, Now, like I said, in real life, the lawyer would meet you in the hallway. And, you know, if they actually thought that it was issued an error, uh, you know, they, they likely wouldn't go forward and ask for a fine. They would likely try to figure out if that was the case or not. But I'm saying this to really emphasize, if you have a beef with the notice of violation, appeal it. Appeal it to the Board of L&I Review. You'll get a board hearing. Yes, you'll have to either join a Zoom or go into a board hearing and go before the board. But the board is, you know, they're understanding. They want to hear from everyone. They're trying to make the right decisions under the code and under kind of general uh, considerations of fairness, and so make sure that you take the opportunity that the that the that the Constitution, the federal and the state Constitution provide for you, and use that due process. Appeal the notice of violation if you disagree with it. So, I'm really going to hit fast forward here. I know I promised this, and then no,
0: you're good to yeah, do so. We'll okay, for another uh, ten minutes or so, and then we'll go into the Q and A. So, so we're, we're going. Okay,
1: great. Okay, no worries. Okay. So I'm that, uh, I'm that developer. I've been hit with a notice of violation, failure to obtain permits, working without permits. Um, let's say I don't do anything for, the, for, for this hypothetical. 30 days later, uh, that inspector who issued the violation in the first place, they'll come into the office in the morning and they'll see on their to-do list for the day, re-inspection. And that means they have to go back out and they have to see if the violation still exists, what that will actually look like, you know, for, for a violation like doing construction work without the required permits, they would just check the system most likely and see if a permit had been applied for or obtained to um, to uh, legalize the work that happened. This is a little, this uh, this always struck me as a little bit weird, but it makes sense in practice. If you, get, if you get cited for working without permits, yes, you have to get the permit even if the work is already completed. You have to retroactively legalize the work. And that can be very difficult and very expensive because it's going to be tough to find an engineer who's going to, you know, uh, basically approve work that was done without permits uh, retroactively. That can, that can be difficult. So it, this goes without saying, given my position. But I really recommend against doing work without permits. Uh, you can you can get you know you can get cited. You can jam up your project, and you can get hit with a lot a lot of fines. Uh, so, anyways, 30 days later, reinspection happens. If there's been no permits issued, that means the violation remains open. The, re, the inspector marks the reinspection failed. So 30 days after that, we're now 60 days from the violation date. There's the second reinspection, the third inspection total. Inspector will go into the system, they'll see oh, still no permits, failed. So now there's been three inspections failed. The first one where the violation got issued, the first reinspection, and the second reinspection. Just like in so many things, it's kind of a three strikes you're out system. On that third failed inspection, a.k.a. the second failed reinspection, the inspector kicks it over to the law department for actual uh, court enforcement, legal enforcement. So this is where in my old job, I would come into the picture. I would get a folder put on my desk. It would be a referral from L&I for violations. And every single time it was a violation that had been existing for you know typically at least 60, sometimes 90, 120 days and it will have been a violation where there have been three failed inspections. And at the law department, I would draft a complaint, and I would file it to either the, to either uh, Philadelphia Municipal Court or Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas. And uh, what, you, what I would do at that point is basically it's a twofold approach. Approach number one, get the violation into compliance. So if it's municipal court, At the first court date, I would meet with the responsible party, assuming they had been served and appeared in court, and I would tell them, look, you've got a violation here for working without permits. That's a fine of $300 per day. It's been open for 90 days. That's a fine of $27,000 if I ask the judge for it. Uh, We're going to schedule you to come back to court in 30 days. At that time, I want to see that a permit application has been submitted, and I want you to bring a copy of the permit application to court so I can review it and make sure that uh, it, it appears to be good. If you don't do that, the next court hearing will go before the judge and I'll have no choice but to request a fine. Now let's say it's court of common pleas. That's a little bit different because in court of common pleas, the judge can issue orders. So in the court of common pleas, usually reserved for either cases that touch upon public safety issues more directly or for complicated construction cases. At that court, uh, at, at a court hearing in the court of common pleas will be in city hall. Usually you'll get taken right in front of the judge at the first hearing or second hearing will you know put on evidence to the judge, I'll have an inspector swear in. The inspector will testify about what the violation is, why there's been no compliance, how long it's been that the violation has been open. And then the lawyer will ask the judge for an order and the judge will usually uh, order either what the city has requested or something similar to what the city has requested, or if the property owner or responsible party has made a good case or explained themselves or provided a compelling uh, rationale or excuse for the situation, the judge might not do it. But um, what the city will usually request from the judge is an order with fines and an order to comply the violation, aka the judge will write by the next hearing or by you know, February 1st, 2021, the judge can basically write out however they want. Defendant shall have obtained a permit to remedy the violation. If they have not, a fine shall be issued of $10,000 plus $300 per day that the violation continues open or whatever like that. Um, So uh, I wanna take a moment now uh, and it's not that I want to scare anyone or worry anyone, but I think it's important to drive home uh, 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 just how, um, I guess, just how important it is to avoid the court enforcement process. Um, it The fines can be huge. The fines can be staggering there. Like I said, uh, the minimum, a class one, that's the lowest, the lowest on the tiers. A class one violation is $300 per day. Class three violation is $2,000 per day. Any violation of the zoning code is a class three violation. Uh, if your property is designated unsafe, it's a class three violation, certain fire code requirements. Those are class three violations. And uh, some of you might know, if an I inspector comes out and sees violations at your property, it's just as likely that they see three, four, five, six of them, as it is that they see one of them. So there's been uh, plenty of times that I've been in court and um, you know, there's been, I, I've had fines issued hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'd certainly had uh, at least a couple that were a million plus dollars. Now, a lot of these were, you know, Pretty serious situations. Mm-hmm. The owner let their corner property remain in unsafe condition for four years without obtaining any permits or doing anything to address the safety issues. Uh, 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 you know, maybe a, a defendant got caught purposely trying to evade or undercut the Philadelphia code requirements. Uh, there's all sorts of different situations, but I really want to emphasize that the code, not the law department, not you know L and I, the code sets forth tremendous fines for violations. And so it's in everyone's best interest to, if you get cited with a notice of violation, you know, don't get uh, intimidated or overwhelmed. All of the information is on that notice. You can always uh, uh, seek review with a lawyer, or, um, you know, if you don't have a lawyer, you can go to community legal services if you need assistance or you need uh, financial assistance obtaining one. But it's always best to take quick action because, uh, once you're out of that compliance window, and especially once you're out 60 or 90 days from the date of violation, you're really uh, you're taking on a lot of risk. You're taking on a lot of risk, and there's the potential for a lot of delay. So uh, I think if if anyone takes one piece of advice away from this, it's if you get cited with a notice of violation, take it seriously and uh, turn all your energies to addressing that violation. And getting the matter taken care of and marked complied, you should you should that's ultimately that's a little L&I lingo violations they're issued and then they're marked complied, aka they're closed out. Uh, usually you'll want just for your own records, I imagine you'll want to get either in writing or you know very very directly stated from an L&I official that a violation is complied, and you can check that on Atlas. Um, but until that's done, uh, you know that that should be your priority number one if you get cited. Now you can one last thing I'll say, the notice of violation will have an email address for the inspector who issued it. It'll have the address and phone number for the uh, district office where the inspector is uh, based out of. Um, You can reach out to LNI. If you get a notice of violation, if you call the office, if you ask to speak to the supervisor, if you email the inspector, if you find out the email address for the supervisor and email them, uh, they, they will assist you. They'll tell you what you have to do to address the violation, you know, think, oh no, I've gotten a violation. I don't want to go talk to L&I. They're going to think I'm the bad guy. They're going to think I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to cheat them or I'm trying to do something wrong. L&I issues dozens and dozens and dozens of violations every single day. It's a standard practice. Obviously, I'm not saying that we you know like vi- people who, who, who violate the code or anything like that, but it's a regular course of business. And L&I, we're always trying to get the violations taken care of. We're kind of all on the same page. We're all kind of all on the same team, I should say, when it comes to that, you know, our service is to the city and the city is better off when there's less violations out there. So, uh, you know, if you, if you don't know what to do, reach out to the inspector, reach out to the office, not right now, but, you know, hopefully God willing, if things go back to normal, I would recommend going into the office and actually speaking to someone face-to-face because that's often a much better way of actually getting concrete answers and results.
0: That concludes my conversation with Will Fernandez, Director of Audits and Investigations for the Department of Licenses and Inspections, about how to make sure you are compliant with city code and how the code enforcement process works. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7pm. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, you can visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open-source training workbook. Thanks so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9, and be sure to tune in next week.